Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Matthew Salzberg. Welcome. Thank you, Jen. You are very welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. And let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew Salzberg is currently under an overall development deal with Lionsgate Television. Matt also serves as an executive producer on Showtime's Weeds, where he has spent the last six seasons writing and producing. His pilot, Me and Lee, is currently in development at Sci-Fi. Previously, Matt served as a writer and co-producer on HBO's Entourage and was a contributing writer to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Other shows he's worked on are The War at Home, The Stones, The Jake Effect, Big Wolf on Campus, and The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. Matt did not go to Harvard, never wrote for The Lampoon, isn't related to anyone in Hollywood, and never even realized TV had writers until he was 25. I love that. That's great. That's great. So so you clearly then when you were going to college, it was kind of a pipe dream. It wasn't something. It wasn't even a pipe dream. It was not even on the radar. What did you study in college? I studied urban planning. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I and look at the the path your your road has <laughs> taken you. That's great. Maybe one day I'll design a city when all this is done. <laughs> Who knows? Well, it's funny thinking uh-huh. about weeds and that opening sequence. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> that's uh-huh. great. I love the irony there. So uh-huh. okay, starting with so you've you've had, I mean you've had longevity in your writing career. You've had a very very impressive writing career. What has been the your favorite part of your journey thus far? I think the favorite part is kind of the weirdness of it all. The When I say weirdness, um, things happen to me on a daily basis because I'm a writer that in my wildest dreams I never ever would have envisioned. You know, certainly growing up because I didn't even really know this existed. I grew up in Canada and Montreal and in the 80s, pretty much, and there was no television industry there at the time. There was some crappy Canadian TV, I guess, but nobody really ever considered writing for television just because it. we didn't come from um, that world. Nobody, I had no connections to it, and it really wasn't a possibility. So you, for the most part, people went into their family businesses or they became professionals, lawyers or doctors, you know, in the school that I went to. Um, yes, and, I come from that school of thought, so I understand that. <laughs> yeah, and you know now, I think there's so much more um, publicity about Hollywood, just even on TV and on the internet, that you know kids growing up in Montreal are aware of the industry when 20 years ago they weren't. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it was kind of sheltered. It was very sheltered. Yeah. yeah, you didn't have a lot of exposure. You had no exposure to and it. And yet, I feel there's so much production done there now. 
Yeah, now there's yeah. production, and then um, production is usually a result of getting uh, certain tax breaks that either the Canadian government offers oh, yeah. uh, or the local provincial governments offer additional incentives. And then plus the dollar used to be um, – now it's on par with the American dollar, so you're probably going to see a little less production going on there. But right. You know, over the last 15 years, there was um, a lot a lot, yeah. to, to save on. Right. Well, yeah. no, and that's good. Now, you're currently in an overall deal at Lionsgate Television. Explain to our listeners what an overall deal entails and give us a sense of what it took to get there. Okay. Basically, they own me. Right. That's what an overall deal is, <laughs> that I cannot do anything independent of Lionsgate television. I guess I could do movies because I'm not under a feature deal there. Right. It's just television. But, yeah, if I if I want to sell a project in TV, it's they are attached as the in-house studio. Um, and uh, typically what they do is it's sort of – it's like the old studio system where they, they just keep writers in-house and they, they – they can make you do kind of whatever it is they want. But for the most part, um, they're a great studio for me because they typically – their model is is for cable television. Right. Um, they don't have any network shows. And I, I've written for network shows, but really uh, my forte, I would say, is writing for cable series. Right. And, uh, and then once you've gotten into cable, it's hard to kind of get the creative um, – inspiration to go back to network because you have so much more freedom on cable yeah and so it's a good fit and it also i mean i'm also under a deal because lionsgate produces weeds and um in in essence they what they do is they charge off what i my whatever my weed salary would be into my overall deal so i mean it sounds almost it sounds kind of more impressive than it really is because ultimately it's just your weed salary plus they They'll give you pretty much like one or two That's, pilots, yeah. um, which they they're, they're going to be the studio on. It's like a blind script deal with pilots. So. Okay. Um, but it no, looked, that's a great thing because yeah. in this day and age, there are not a lot of people who get overall deals. No, so I aren't. always get impressed when I see it's still going on because it seems more like a practice that used to happen a lot more. It used to happen yeah. in a way that it doesn't happen anymore. The people that get overall deals now compared to people who got them like, let's say, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. before you could get an overall deal and pretty much you didn't even have to work on a show. You yeah. could sit in an office for two years or three years and just come up with ideas for TV shows, go and pitch them, write a pilot or two, and and that's it. That's Your whole job You're is basically right. just trying trying to come up with the next Friends or Seinfeld. Right. You know, now most overall deals, they do still exist, but typically they're worked in where people are on a show and then when they're on hiatus, the overall deal basically covers the difference between, you know, they just don't want to lose those writers to other potential development opportunities. So it makes sense for them to keep them in house. No, that sounds great. Thank yeah. you so much for clarifying that. Sure. Um, now, weeds I love, and I'm a huge, huge fan of Thanks. your work on weeds. You Thank have a you. beautiful voice. Thanks. Uh, you are more than welcome, which is why I'm so excited to have you here. 
Um, what would you say your experience as a writer on Weeds has been? Like, say, because you've been there six seasons, mm -hmm. if you look back to day one of starting to now, like, like what misconceptions did you have going in, and how is it different now than it was in year one? That's a great question. Uh, in year one, there was a sense of complete freedom. Uh, we didn't know if the show was going to be successful or not. Everybody who was on the staff was coming off of a network show. And so all of a sudden we had this really interesting subject matter to write about with marijuana. And we had a cable network that you could do or say anything. And so it was the most liberating kind of experience because everybody just, you know, it, was, it got to be kind of, um, filthy in a lot of ways right. you know the show was obviously about drugs but then there's just a lot of you know we could throw in a lot of sex and be real and be um graphic in our language that you can't be on network tv and mm -hmm. there's a sense of real verite when you can do that that you don't get on network television because people cuss in real life and people you know do bad things and on network TV, you pretty much, you know, the worst thing that somebody does is lie to his wife. Right. You know? Right. Um, Although, in years lately, in sitcoms, violence sitcoms, is, yeah, yeah, you're you know, right. That's true. It's, it's weird what how network dramas and sitcoms vary in what it is they find, like, acceptable or not. Like, because dramas, that can really kind of push the envelope. Is, but then when you... Do, try to do it in comedy all of it's like all of a sudden it's like whoa you know we can't do that and i'm like well but you're doing it on dramas why can't you do it in comedy right. it doesn't right. really make a whole lot of sense but how uh, like is weeds looked at like a dramedy more yeah weeds is a yeah. dramedy um weeds we always try to balance our comedy and drama uh we like to have our narrative thrust be specifically the A story for Nancy be something that's dramatic. Mm -hmm. And then, then we'll go into some goofy territory sometimes for B stories. But pretty much our A stories are always uh, driven by drama. Right. And, you know, and then we, we execute our tone somewhat comedically even in a dramatic storyline because we don't, we don't go as dark as we could, even though we are a pretty dark show. We definitely could go even right. darker, right? You know, but since you it don't a, go as far as like Breaking Bad, and yeah, we that don't. Whole drug world. Right. right, because we are a comedy, so we right. don't we don't do that, and we know our we we know our tone. Our tone is w w weird because, in a sense, you could say that we're kind of all over the place sometimes. But that's that's our tone. Mm -hmm. So we know that we know we have the license to be goofy comedically. We know we can go pretty dark dramatically, uh, and it's something that's exciting to us as writers because we kind of let the story tell itself and um, maintain it that way. I think that's a luxury, boy. That's a huge. It, it luxury. is a luxury. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And we're blessed with really good actors yep. and really good editors. Uh, who understand that and you know we spend a lot of time in the editing room really getting that tone right because right. it's sometimes tricky because you'll have some broad moments juxtaposed against very serious moments right and uh so finding that balance is something that we work hard at oh and you do it beautifully thanks now tell him now credit wise like mm -hmm. climbing the ranks six years ago you started at what level? i started as a co-producer i think okay and then um 
I've been an EP executive producer, I think, two years now, and I was a co-executive producer before that and a supervising producer between then. Um, and how do the different levels vary? With me, they don't at all. I've right. always kind of been, like, basically the number three. The head writer, Janji, who created the show, mm-hmm. is the number right. one, and Roberto Benabib, who's another executive producer, is the number two. And um, even though there were some people who were ahead of me in terms of title in the first season, um, it's always kind of been a show that was written by three or four people, really four people. One writer who left us after season four was a very key voice in the first four seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was sort of the weeds brain was the combination of uh, us four. Great. Uh, yeah. Great. That's wonderful. And then you add, do you have staff level writers? Yeah, we do. We, um, we've we changed a lot of people over the years. The right. only three people who are still there are myself and Genji and Roberto, who are the two EPs as well, who have been there since day one. We've had a fairly high turnover of other writers just because it's a tricky tone yeah, to get. Yeah, it is a tricky tone. Um, and everybody's been very valuable and some people aren't here anymore because they've left on their own and then there are other people who just the chemistry wasn't quite right. Uh, it's part that's of the trick good... of, of a writing staff. Right, and that's a good topic. So sure. from your point of view as mm-hmm. an executive producer, Looking at, say, some mistakes that newer writers make that that contribute to things not working out, what would some of those be? Um, really not fully grasping the tone, mm-hmm. I think, is the biggest mistake that some newer writers or people that didn't work out on the show have made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either tried to be too comedic when... It was with characters that are comedic by nature, like Kevin Nealon or Justin Kirk, and not quite grounding them those enough, or not being able to really write solid Nancy storylines, and they were just too comedic, right? And you know, couldn't really nail a voice. I would say so. Nailing a voice is a big part too, you know, because I've yeah, heard... you don't have to be a hundred percent on, but you right. can't be way off, right? If you're way off, it just makes the EP's job harder because then we just have to take a script and rewrite it from scratch. Right. Um, which was done a lot more in the early years. You know, kind of Genji did a lot of um, voice passes in the first couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, she still takes a pass at every script now, but I've noticed that from season one till now, she, you know, there's a lot less work that she has to do because – now our staff writers and other writers on the show are closer to getting the voice down. Oh, also great. probably because it's been on for six years and there's more consistency in it and you get to have the luxury now of watching so many episodes and understanding the rhythms and the type of things that the characters would say. Whereas in the beginning, there wasn't a whole lot of um, reference points. Right. There was just a few episodes. and right. so. Some writers had trouble, you know, really grasping that. Well, and you have such great, rich, and complex characters. So I can certainly see how the beginning writer wouldn't know how to really make that work. You know, an interesting question came up. I had someone ask me, and, and I said, they said, when you're writing for a current show or you're writing a spec script, how do you infuse your voice? 
And my answer to it was you can still use your voice within the boundaries and the perimeters of what the show is. And they want you to use your voice and understand your voice within those perimeters and the voice of the show. Would you say that's true? Yes, I would say that's very true, especially like when you're writing a spec. I think one of the toughest parts about writing spec scripts of existing shows is accomplishing exactly what you're talking about. You have you you almost have two jobs to do to separate yourself from the pack. You have to not only nail the voices of the characters, but you have to infuse your own voice in the t- storytelling or in the in the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very challenging task and so i would say that if people are writing spec scripts trying to do that make sure you pick a show where you're able to do that where your own voice and uniqueness can come through at the same time where you have a good grasp of nailing the existing characters that are already there yeah i think picking picking the right show to spec is probably the most important um part of a writer's career in terms of being able to break in. That's something that I was fortunate with. And What were your first specs? Uh, well, my first spec was a Seinfeld. Right, right. And that was a, a good example of a, a show that I got the voice, but I also nailed, like I showcased my own voice in the spec script that I wrote, and it got a lot of attention. It got me to move to L.A. Great. It gave me confidence to, like, really pursue a career as a tv writer it didn't never got me a job though and it never got me an agent but it got such good feedback at the time that it gave me the you know the balls to go ahead and and move here and try it but it wasn't until i wrote a curb your enthusiasm spec did my career go from uh just go to the next level and that was a show that both i got larry's voice but i really you know told a really interesting story that was from my own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. Now, by the time you've written your Curb Your Enthusiasm, how many scripts would you say you'd written at that point in time? A lot. Yeah. That's good for people to hear. But I also had worked, too. I had been on staffs before that as well. Right. Um, I, you know, so as far as how many specs did I write before I got a staff gig? Mm Mm-hmm. Probably, uh, probably twenty seven hundred. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, probably seven or eight. See, that's um, good. that's good for people to know. The what was a funny story was when I had written my first Seinfeld script and I sent it up to a couple of agents here. I got callbacks immediately from people saying, "Oh my God, this is hilarious." you know, do you have another script? We're in staffing season and we need two samples. And I'm like, no, this is the first one I ever wrote. And they're like, how fast can you write a second script? Right. And I was like, all right, give me a week. So I busted my ass for a week. I wrote another Seinfeld. I sent it to them. And they were, they get it and they were like, no, we need a different show. They're like, we already have your Seinfeld. (laughs) And I was like, oops, rookie mistake. (laughs) See, uh, but that's good for people to hear. Yeah, that's how you learn. Yeah, exactly. It's how you learn. And then, you know, it delayed my, uh, ability to get hired for a year right maybe, maybe even two years because then i wrote a couple scripts that were okay but they weren't great i wrote of friends that a lot of people actually really responded to i got an agent or a manager off of it i wrote a simpsons a third rock from the sun 
Frasier. You write all, and, wrote all the top shows. Good yeah, for Everybody you. Loves Raymond. I, I wrote all those. Which was your favorite of those? Which would you say? Of those, of that batch? Yeah. Ugh. Gosh, I don't know. At what point I, would you I, say, what, like, you're. At every you, point, I'll tell you this at right. every point in the process, I loved them all. Right. And then, then I also hated them all. Right. You know? That's uh, honest. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. I was yeah. like, this is genius. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> 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 the truth behind yeah. the writer's life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so great. Mm-hmm. Now, moving into pilot writing, which mm-hmm. is interesting because you have a pilot now called... Yeah. I have two pilots, actually. I didn't... You have me and Liam. What's your second one? The second one is um, something at Showtime called Whales. Great. Which is about um young 21-year-old... Um, internet poker uh, millionaires oh who great are all of a sudden leaving their basements and trying to make it on the poker circuit it's sort of an inside look at the um tournament poker circuit and it seems very prevalent right now yeah i mean the yeah. poker boom was a few years ago but right. i think now it's what it is it's it's like mainstream now people right. have watched poker now on tv for a bunch of years you know a lot of the live characters but you've never really seen um, pe- you've never seen a drama or a com- it's a comedy actually uh, about it and what it's like to live in that world behind just sitting at a poker table and watching people play poker it's like what happens when they're not at the tables oh great yeah that sounds fascinating yeah and like, how is it going i'm in the, the middle of writing it i'm okay. co-writing it with jenji cohen who's great. creator of weeds yeah. we collaborate frequently together and uh she's an executive producer on my other pilot that's at the sci-fi channel which i think you were great just about to ask me about. so you guys work well together yeah we work very well together. oh that's wonderful and um all right so yeah your other pilot me and lee what is that about that is um probably the most hilarious thing that's ever (laughs) happened to me right in hollywood it's loosely based on my friendship with lee majors Really? Yeah. Um, when you asked me earlier, you know, what was what's my favorite experience or just part about writing? And when I said it's the things that can happen to me on a daily basis that I never expect or imagine and rooms I'm put into with people who I grew up watching on TV. Um, about four and a half years ago, I was uh, living in Beverly Hills and I would every morning I would uh, take my dog for a walk and I would stop off at the coffee bean and tea leaf for a coffee and to read the paper. And I started noticing a guy sitting there every morning. It's at six thirty seven in the morning. And I sort of looked at him and I'm like, I think that's Lee Majors. And I, I didn't say anything to him. Um, but I was a huge $6 million man fan growing up. He, it was weird to see him. And, uh, I was amused by it. And then one day he just starts talking to me and he said to me, he said, what are you, an out of work actor? And I said, no, you are. And he started (laughs) laughing. And uh, I said, no, I'm on, I'm a writer on Weeds and we're on hiatus right now. And he probably thought I was an actor because I, you know, it seemed like I didn't have a job to go to. (laughs) And, uh, and then he's like, oh, wow, you should write something for me. And I started laughing and it was interesting because at the time, I was um, I was having a lot of really bad back problems, uh-huh. and um, growing up I had problems. I used to play ice hockey and golf, and uh, had a fracture at one point, and it was just deteriorating, and oh. it was getting worse and worse. And uh, 
And I felt like I was kind of in a Charlie Kaufman movie because I'm like debating whether or not to have back surgery. Right. I'm hobbling over to the coffee bean. I meet the $6 million man. And then I, at the same time, I noticed John Malkovich was sitting oh my in the corner too running lines. He must have been in town. I think I don't think he lives here, but I think he was in town for for a movie. And he, I kept seeing him every day. So I really felt like I was in this Charlie Kaufman universe and after lee said well you should write something for me i was walking my dog home and i'm hobbling and i'm like god my life is going great right now but it except for the fact that i'm in like massive amounts of pain which was horrible and if only i was bionic would my life truly be amazing and that was sort of the genesis of this idea about a guy who whose life was ruined by chronic pain who um who's facing multiple um who's facing a lawsuit because he was a dentist who um cut out a woman's tongue because he had a back spasm during while he was working on her and his girlfriend dumps him because he can't get it up with her anymore because his pain is so bad and he's broke and he needs another surgery and he's ready to kill himself basically and um Along comes Lee Majors to the rescue, and Lee Majors plays himself right. as a former, the former actor, star of the Six Million Dollar Man, who, since that show went off the air, has become so obsessed with bionics that he built a lab in his basement and hired a top scientist, and they finally perfected it on a monkey, but they need a human guinea pig to experiment on. So they approach this sad sack of a guy, and they basically makes him the offer to rebuild him because he has the technology. And the guy thinks Lee Majors is a crazy washed up old actor who only, you know, um, wants to lure him to his basement to sodomize him, basically. <laughs> and so he blows him off. But Lee doesn't take no for an answer. He he follows him. He sees him at his lowest point. He throws him in his car. He takes him. He shows him this lab. And he, and the guy's still reluctant. He doesn't want to do it. And Lee doesn't care. He 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 calls his scientist in. They drug him, and they load this kid up with bionics, ah, and so it works. Great. And so his pain is gone. But the twist on the show is that in addition to rebuilding his arms and legs, Lee put in eyeball cameras and cranial speakers into his head, and so Lee can watch and monitor his every move and talk to him from his lab. And he's this sort of part of his idea to rebuild people in this whole obsession with bionics is his his drive is that he doesn't want to just fix people physically he wants to fix them emotionally too oh that's beautiful and, and he wants I like that. yeah and so now he can fix this kid emotionally and rebuild him in that way right he wants to turn nerds into winners and you know and, yeah and and the the comedy of it all is that lee's kind of not that equipped to really do that right you know he's right. stuck in the 70s he lived a yeah. very privileged life right so it's his buddy comedy about this kid with lee major stuck in his head and trying to interfere and meddle in his life and it's a father-son story because he grew up without a father and lee's got some redemption issues with his own kids that he's struggling with and so that's oh that sounds fantastic you, you know what i love about that is uh, i just wrote a book storyline finding mm. gold in your life story and it's about adding fiction to your truth yes and that's that my favorite like, part of writing yeah is doing that right oh good yeah good and, i mean the character's name is salzburg right the show is called me oh, and lee so yeah all and right it, it was a pilot i actually did at fox four right. years ago that was filmed right and it was on the verge of getting picked up when they um 
they had second thoughts at the last minute. Not sure why, because it screened incredibly well internally. and um, Right. It had some casting problems. I wasn't thrilled with the casting choice and um, the director as well. I felt like was a little inexperienced. So I wasn't entirely unhappy that it didn't get picked up at the time. Right. And hopefully, you know, sci-fi, I'm told, is going to make a decision in the, in the next few weeks. Oh, gosh. So keep your fingers yes, crossed. Yes, we are going to be rooting for it. Thanks. And with that, we are going to take our a break. And we are here with Matthew Salzberg, who is the executive producer on Weeds. We will be back in a moment. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Matthew Salzberg, executive producer on Weeds. So we were just speaking about your pilots, which sound amazing, and the idea of adding fiction to your truth, which I love that you utilize, and it is something you do. Um, With writing a pilot, I'm curious, like going from being staffed on a show for six years to writing a pilot, what was that experience like, and what do you think of the pilot writing experience compared to the spec writing experience spec writing meaning uh mimicking another show versus writing in an original oh i mean they're completely different animals and they're um it's difficult it's it's very challenging in some ways it's liberating to write a pilot because you can just do whatever you want and create the characters that you want and so forth but you have to think about a lot of things that you don't think about when you're writing a spec script because when you're writing a spec script, all the characters, their motivations, their um, place in the world are already set. So you're basically trying to f- you're trying to break a story, and then you're trying to write dialogue to service that story in a spec script. In a pilot, you're setting the template for this series. So it's very challenging because oftentimes your instinct will be when you come up with a concept for a pilot is to dramatize the concept for that pilot Um, as opposed to um, writing an episode of what it would typically feel like at any point in time during the series. So you have to make decisions. You have a lot of decisions, infinite number of decisions that you have to make in a pilot writing that you don't have to make in spec scripts. Meaning, do I want this show to be serialized? When do I want this story to take to start? You know, do I want to show the backstory? Do I want the backstory to just be dialogue? You know, um, how many scenes per episode do I want to actually write? So you're you're picking a style mm-hmm. when you're writing a pilot. You're setting tone in the pilot, which you don't have to do in a spec. Um, those are great points. Yeah. It's yeah, it's incredibly challenging. Uh in writing your own pilots, like what would you say you've learned that you maybe weren't aware of through working with the studios and the networks? Um it, it can be challenging to work with 
the networks. The studios have been very, um, I've been very fortunate with Lionsgate and right. my pilots. Right. I've written some pilots for NBC Studios too. And for the most part, they I haven't had any bad experiences with studios. Um, or networks too much. With Fox, it was, um, it was interesting because Fox, when I wrote Me and Lee for them, after I sold the pitch in the room, their main concern was please don't make this feel like a sketch they said to me because it's a broad concept and it's about a bionic jew it could obviously you know become a potential goofy sketch right and so i worked hard to ground it and so forth and make the characters and the world feel organic and not feel just like a a a sketch an extended sketch and they loved the script the script got great um feedback from people around town it was originally picked up as a director contingent pilot that they wanted uh two major feature directors to try to um direct todd phillips and jay roach and off of jay roach and todd phillips feedback they decided to open up the list to other directors and so forth and then the community had been reading the script and getting back to fox talking about how much they liked it so that just gave them more confidence to then just open it up and and lift that contingency so they did that and then when it came time to casting, we, I had a very um, specific um, vision for the show, which was I didn't want to cast an actor in the lead that had a lot of baggage, meaning somebody I would rather discover an unknown for this part as opposed to go to you know the old staple of people. And I understand from network sides why they like to go with, you know, um, more bigger names especially if it's a riskier concept because they can then sell the show based on those names but i felt like okay lee majors hasn't been around in a while but lee majors internationally is a gigantic name and somebody who i think you could easily promote it's a no-brainer of a promoting promotable name so i worked very hard to try to find somebody that was really a grounded actor to play the other part and I had three excellent actors that I was set to go into network testing with, and the night before or two nights before, we got word from Lionsgate and from Fox that they were interested in casting Jamie Kennedy in the role, who was known mostly as a sketch actor. Right. And uh, Wow. At the same time, prior to that, actually, when the director contingency was on and then lifted, there were numerous large feature directors who were interested in directing the project. Betty Thomas was one, mm-hmm. um, did right. private parts, yeah. and um, uh, Steve Summers, who did the Mummy movies, was one who wanted to do it. And they weren't greenlighting these directors. They were saying no. But then the director they ultimately chose was a guy who had one credit, and he was a sketch comedy director, a guy named Paul, oh Paul Donello. Gosh. So. Wow. So they were going against everything that everything that they asked for. They, for some reason, were interested in getting into business with uh, with Danello, and um, he came from the Strangers with Candy camp, and um, and then when it came time to casting, they they brought in Jamie, and they pretty much said that unless we use Jamie, we're not going to pick up the show. And so I was forced to cast him. And I knew Jamie, and I like Jamie. He's a nice guy, and he's funny. Um, but I didn't feel like he was 100% right for the part. And um, so I had to do a few rewrites, you know, kind of on the fly just to kind of tailor it a little more to him. And uh, and and it was, it was an unfortunate 
um, inability for the network to back an original vision. It sounds like the scenario in episodes. Have you watched episodes? I, I've watched a couple of them. Yeah. I watched the first two. Right. Yeah. Ca- right. Well, there was a movie that came out the same pilot season that I was doing all this called right. The TV Set right. with David Duchovny, which was the twilight zone of my life as it was happening. Right. He was. It was literally that same thing. He played a TV writer whose pilot is getting made, who the network wants to cast this pretty boy, right. and he's not really a good actor, and he had this other kid that he really wanted to cast – and at the same time, David Duchovny had to like undergo emergency back surgery, and I just had back surgery. It was this very weird. How wild! It was really wild. It was really Twilight Zone. Yeah. Because I was watching that movie, and I'm like, oh my god, this is my life right now. Wow. Yeah. It was really pretty funny. Okay. So I haven't I haven't caught up on all the episodes of episodes yet, but um, I do amazing. know that they you know it's a great show. Yeah. But they they teeter on the line of is it a spoof? Or is it, I can't tell you how many people say, is that really what executives in Hollywood do as far as sleep with the head of the network? You know what I mean? So it's interesting. And yet I think when you live in the world of Hollywood, and I I think the comedy is just hysterical on it. So, um, all right. So now speaking of comedies, two of my other favorite comedies, Tell me about what your experience was like on Entourage first and then Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was on Entourage in the first season. Um, my experience on the show wasn't my favorite experience in Hollywood. It was um, working with people who were really unfamiliar with the process of making television and I had been on numerous shows before, but the creator of Entourage hadn't been, and um, it was a it was a challenging job because there was only four people, four writers total. The creator, Larry Charles, was brought in as an executive producer to help shepherd him along. Um, Rob Weiss was the other writer, who um, came from the feature world. So only Larry Charles and myself had had real television experience. And Doug Ellen, the creator, um, who really had a very specific vision for the show that he would clash with um, Larry on and um, very much took an auteur stance on things. And so I really didn't do a ton of writing on that show. Um, And... And it wasn't a pleasant experience, which is it was good a, for people it was, to be. It was here. a it was a difficult experience because of the I think the fear and pressure that um, people who hadn't made television before were feeling, and so that's a challenge to work with people who are who really are under that much stress. See, and I I think it's so good for everyone to hear about the honesty behind what goes on behind the scenes at shows because, you know, I have people who often say, so tell me about your podcast. And I said, you know, I what I like to explore is the good, the bad, and the ugly of what it is to be a TV writer. So it's not painting everything as this beautiful picture. It really is looking at all sides and, and being honest, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was a really cool place to be, too, at right. the time, though. Right. I mean, so I have mixed emotions about it. Yeah. I mean, it was 
I could tell that the show was going to be successful because, first of all, HBO had a had, there was no budget really on the show. They could just oh, interesting. They could just do whatever they want for right. the most part. They want to shoot here, they're going to go shoot here. They shot on location just about everywhere you went. They had a huge music budget. They really um, they allow the creators to make the show that they want without a lot of parameters. Uh-huh. You know, Weeds is a completely different experience. Weeds, we have a very, very tight budget. We don't have a lot of money to do, to do the show, so we have to get really creative with our storytelling. Whereas on Entourage, when they don't have um, boundaries, they the show looks so much better because of that. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to feel like the very Tay is there because you're out in the world and it doesn't feel like you're on a set somewhere or a stage, you know? Yes. Um, and so it was so a very value. fortunate break yeah. to, to working on that in that kind of environment. And now what about Curb? What was your experience? Curb was there? a really interesting experience. Um, Larry David doesn't have staff writers on his show. And uh, so I got a call one day from my agent who said he got a call from Larry David saying, do you have any writers that you think would have good ideas for my show? Because I'm open to, like, hearing some people. And um, But he said, only, only you can only send me somebody that you think is going to work. And so he said, yeah, I have a guy who wrote a spec, Curb Your Enthusiasm, that every executive in town wanted to meet him off of. And this it's kind of um, was the, the spec script that CAA sent out to their clients and say, and would say, beat this script. That was the sort of barometer for what they would try to get their writers to match because that's a script that was getting me a lot of work, and obviously they want to be able to get all their clients a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So um, so they said, you have any idea? They called me up, my agent, and he said, you know, why don't you pitch your spec to Larry, but if you have any other ideas too, he's open to hearing them. So I was like, wow, this is my dream because I always felt a deep – kind of sadness that I never got to write for Seinfeld because it was my favorite show. It's what made me want to be a TV writer. Mm-hmm. It was the one show that op- that I felt like I could do this, you know? Yes. Um, and, and wanted to do it because it was so funny. And then I never got that opportunity. And then Curb came along and I was like, wow, here's kind of like another mm-hmm. version of yeah, Seinfeld in this twisted way. And uh, so I was really excited. So I went to the coffee bean or wherever I used to go to write, and I just wrote down a bunch of ideas. And I I sent in about seven ideas to Larry. Um, And the morning after the Golden Globes, it might have been in 2004, possibly. I don't remember exactly. But he won the Golden Globe, and I watched the Golden Globes on TV. And then the next morning at, like, 9 o'clock, I – walk into my house and I asked my agent on Friday before I said did you uh did you hear anything from Larry because we sent in my pitches like on Thursday or whatever and he's like no that you know he goes he's got the Golden Globes this weekend just chill out we'll call him next week so Monday morning at nine o'clock my phone rings and I answered I'm like hello and he's like Matt it's Larry David I just want to tell you I love your pitches they're hilarious I want to buy this one and I want to do this one and that one and I'm literally thinking somebody's fucking with me. Right, Because right. I just watched him win a Golden Globe. It's 9 o'clock in the morning the next day. Right. Why? Like, he didn't even have his assistant call and say, it's, you know, Larry right. David's calling for you. Right. But then my cell phone starts going off, and I see it's CAA's phone number. Right. So 
I say hold on one second to Larry, which I don't even know why I did, but I pick it up and it's my agent. He said, Larry David's calling you. And I'm like, I know, he's on the other line. (laughs) So that's when I knew that it was legitimate. Right. So I hang up the phone with my agent. I get back on with Larry. Larry, we start talking about some of the ideas and, you know, he's like, can you elaborate a little more on this one? Because I like it. And bottom line was, so he bought a couple off of me how exciting from that pitch but then he also said if you have any more ideas you know come in and pitch them to me and and i'm open to you know anything you want so then i was like well i have to meet him i can't just like do this over the phone right so my agent sets up a meeting and so i go to his office i prepared three more pitches and it was him and it was larry charles that was my first experience with Larry. I wound up working with him on Entourage later, but right. um, but it was the two of them, and it was really thrilling. It was the most nervous I've ever been in a meeting. I'm sure. Um, but it actually was. It went really well. What was really cool was, was my first pitch that I went in there with, um, in this new batch was, um, that Larry starts using Mexican day laborers for the carpooling. Right. And. <laughs> He looks at me, he goes, I literally yesterday just finished writing an episode where I use a hooker for the carpool. Oh, my God. So he was, even though he didn't use that idea because he was doing that one, he was, he was, he just felt like we were really on the same page and that he really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. He really liked my idea. And then he wound up buying another you know, the second one that I pitched and, um, that was really cool. And then that's and then like I, a childhood dream. Yeah, it was a childhood dream what, yeah. kind of. And then they made three of them. Um right? a year later I, wow. I sold another one to him. And uh That's a good relationship. It was a very good relationship. But after a while I stopped doing it because he, because the show doesn't have a budget for writing, I got paid really, really small money right. for that. Right. Like ridiculously small. And he was, you know, winning awards from the writers guild. Uh, you know for these things and and i give him all the credit in the world because he took what were ideas and stories and blended them into his show and really did all the writing but at the same time it would have been nice to get a little bit of on-screen credit yes for those and so not that i stopped out of um principle right but it was more like i'm start i was starting to get successful and being on popular shows i just felt like well maybe these ideas i should just keep for myself well, you know. and I think that's that's a very, very good point because I think, you know, even, I mean, you're talking something even different than sharing the credit with the showrunner who really gets paid. So right. that's really what they do and that's part of their job, yet there are some who have to share credit with every single writer. But you didn't even have that. So, of course, right? You yeah, didn't get no, any- I didn't get it. I got, I could put on my credits that I'm a contributing writer to the show. But right. But I, but I didn't get on-screen Right. Um, no, and that's it. a big thing. And I think is your, you know, I think valuing yourself and your your career is your business. You, every writer is like sure. an entrepreneur, so of course you have to protect that. So I think that was, I think that was a wise decision. And it sounds like you got a lot out of it. And uh, oh, and I did. And, and by the way, Larry, Larry was such a nice guy. Like you know, you see him on the show, and mm-hmm. he's such a prick. But in, <laughs> right. in person, he was such a nice guy. Very menschy, really funny, really, really brilliant. And it was uh, I felt honored to work for him. Oh, that's great! I love what's coming out because there's so much honesty and there's so much reality 
to for people mm. to hear about, which which I think is terrific. Um, Hope it doesn't get me in trouble. No, I I don't think it. No, because you know it it's interesting. I mean, I think what's good for people is just to be aware of of how the evolution of a writer's life is, sure. and when you get to a point where you are being paid a lot of money in one arena but not another of of course a business you're a business person right you're gonna look at that um now with regards to when i think about the fact that you have stayed staffed for as long as you Mm -hmm. have um what personality trait would you say contributes to your staying power um talent (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I think that I think that's I mean, amazing. Hopefully, you know, yeah. I mean, I think there's that. There's you know, there's a lot of politics that go into working on a staff and I'm not I'm not political. I'm pretty much who I am and I don't worry anymore about trying to be political. I'm just kind of myself and either right. you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. I've had a a few jobs where they haven't really worked out. I've had personality clashes with the showrunners, and that hasn't worked. And then there, and then there's certain showrunners who I now write pilots with because we're on, we're so close and on the same page, and work so well together. So it's really like it's like being on a basketball team where, you know, typically the best teams are ones that have chemistry. And sometimes a good player is good, but he's not really doesn't really look good because he's on a team where he doesn't get to shine, and it's not the right situation for him, you know. And the same thing is very true with a writer's room, where you know there are certain writers that you know necess- might not necessarily work out on Weeds, but they're it could be great on other shows. And there's a show that will really you know appreciate their voice and you know that they can get like I've been I, like I said I've been on some shows where. It's been completely easy, and I've been a great asset to the show. And then there are a couple shows where I've, you know, haven't really panned out because my voice is just too different than what the showrunner wants. And see that that's a great another great thing for people to hear as well. And and also the idea of being fired in this town. Sure, it you, it is you know recognizing that you can still have an incredible career. You, yeah, I mean most people have been fired. Most writers times. have been on shows. <laughs> Yeah, and they, you know, and then it's about finding either a show that matches your voice and you could really excel at, or finding people that you collaborate well with and going from there. Yeah, no, mm. I, I think uh, I love the information that's coming. I've been out. not, hi- I've, I've been not hired on shows that I've tried to get on, and then have people say they regret not hiring me. Yeah. Too. Well, because they um, see how well you've done, and you're—I think you have—you do have a distinct yeah. voice, so you know. But I, at the time, I guess I didn't impress them, so right. they didn't hire me. You know. And yeah. You know. And you learn. Sure, of and course. And you learn, and now you you're in a tremendous place where you have an overall deal, and you're writing I, with your executive producer. You're, yeah. Uh, and then, and, and, and at the time, I was kind of—you're bummed out by it, but it, but in hindsight, it it doesn't matter because I knew at the time. I wasn't really right to collaborate with certain people in that environment. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a there wasn't a chemistry there, right? You know, yes. And when you find that chemistry, it's like yes. being in relationships too. It is. When you find good yep. chemistry and you're in a good relationship, okay, this is what it's about. It's yes. not about trying to make it work in situations that aren't good, right? Yeah. 
So not forcing it. Yeah, not forcing Just, yeah. it. You're not going to get the best work out of people Organic. if you force yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I I think that's very true. All right. So for our last questions, um, looking at everything you've learned over the years, what advice would you give someone who is just starting their writing career? Um, the best advice I can give is to find your strength and excel at that. Don't try to be a jack of all trades and a master of none, be a master of one. So if you're good at thrillers or you're good at drama or you're good at sketch writing or whatever it is your your real talent is because it's so competitive, don't try to do everything. Try to do one thing incredibly well. And then you'll be known as a person who does that well and that will elevate you to the top of the pack even if you can do other things reasonably well throughout the course of your career you'll find your way to those things but the most important thing in breaking in is distinguishing yourself from the pack and and how do you do that you you find something that you find whatever you're best at and you only do that I've known a lot of writers who have struggled for a lot of years because they tried to write comedies when they truthfully weren't that funny people, you know, who have been across the board. Well, I'm going to write this, a political thriller, but they're really not that kind of writer. They're better writing, you know, horror movies or something like that, you know, and it isn't until they started to focus exclusively on um, those things. And maybe it's about finding your voice or maybe it's just about honing it in and, and understanding where you are going to excel and then exclusively doing that. I, I think that's one of the best pieces of advice that, that I've heard. I, I think that's excellent. I mean, that really kind of goes into branding yourself and, yeah. and really understanding your brand. So, exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 I think that's terrific. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. You You're have very been welcome, so enlightening and so informative. And Thanks. I think the listeners are going to love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> very excited for them to hear it thank you you are welcome and um we did want to bring up um a mention of some a few up and coming events with jen grisanti consultancy inc i have a book signing of my new book storyline finding gold in your life story at the writer store on march 3rd from 6 30 p.m to 9 p.m and you can sign up for this at the writer store. And then on March 19th, I have a seminar at UCLA called How to Write a Script That Sells. And I will be teaching from Storyline. And this will be for TV and feature writers. I will also have a panel of TV and feature writers. So you can sign up for that on my website at www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. And then I will, on March 27th, I am starting my 10-week teleseminar series 
this is very much like what the network writing programs are for writers. In 10 weeks, you will write a spec script and a pilot script and get an idea of what it is to participate in a writing program. And it will also help prepare you to get into the writing programs as well as to get staffed and to learn what it is to write a pilot. Um, so that starts on March 27th. It is on the phone every Sunday at 4 p.m. You can also sign up for that on my website. And lastly, I will be in New York for uh, Movie Maker is doing a screenwriting conference in New York on April 16th. Um, while I'm there, I'm doing a book, uh, book signing at Drama Bookshop on April 15th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. and then doing the seminar for Movie Maker Magazine on April 16th. And you can sign up for that on, uh, at Movie Maker, um, moviemakermagazine.com. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And we are out. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 